Good morning, friends. It's good to see you this morning. I want to welcome those that are joining us on our Edgewood campus. Always good to have them, and as well as those that are joining us online. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. We're going to look at a verse that we've been looking at over the last handful of weeks. As you're turning there, and before we begin, I want to take just a few moments and just pray for the nation of Israel, um, which over the last uh, 48 hours has been at war with Hamas and uh, we just want to pray for the Lord's sovereign hand upon them, but also our own nation's response um, to the things that are happening um, in Jerusalem and uh, surrounding areas. So let's pray for them. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for today and for the, the pleasure and the goodwill of being able to gather with your people, um, Lord, for fellowship and friendship and, uh, Lord, encouragement through singing to you and um, hugging one another, but also to uh, just to encourage one another through the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that our time is not only well spent, but Lord, it's useful in spurring us on uh, towards love and good deeds and to becoming more of the people you desire us to be. Lord, we are so thankful for our time to gather here in freedom. And uh, while we are here, our hearts, uh, Lord, are in tune with the, the things that are happening in, in Israel. And Lord, we just pray, Father, for um, the nation of Israel, Lord, that you would put your hand of protection upon them. Lord, in Genesis 12, you just said that they are your people. And uh, Lord, we just pray, Father, for your protection upon them. And Lord, we know that the seed of salvation came through them. And Lord, we know that uh, you, you still love them and you have a purpose uh, for them in the end. And I pray, Lord, that you would sustain them, hold them, support them against evil and corruption in this world. Lord, we pray not only for them, but Lord, we pray for those uh, that are a part of Hamas and their leadership. Lord, they also need you. Um, Lord, I pray, Father, they would come to, to know you and trust you. Father, we uh, pray that you would help us to be in tune and to have our lanterns lit. Lord, what happens over there eventually does impact us in this world. Lord, we know that you're your word tells us you're coming again, and Lord, I pray that we would be ready, vigilant. Lord, we don't know the day or the hour. Lord, it's going to come like a thief. It's going to come like a woman in her pregnancy who has childbirth pains. Lord, but we know you are coming, and I pray that we would be ready. Lord, everything that happens in the world is for a purpose, and you're using all things, and I pray that we would know that and be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the last handful of weeks, we've been in a series uh, called Money Matters. Um, we talked week one that money matters, but it's not the heart of the matter, and uh, really that our heart is important, and the way that we respond to ma- uh, money really does um, have an impact on how we honor the Lord with our resources. Last week, Cody, uh, our Edgewood Campus pastor, did a great job of just helping us understand what honest work looks like and that it's excellence. Uh, matter of fact, one of the sayings that I have is uh, excellence in all things and all things to the glory of God. Uh, really, the Lord does care about how we manage and handle uh, our finances. And today, we're going to look more about this, but in particular, as we look at Ephesians 4.28, which is kind of the basis of this series, one, one thing strikes me at the very end, um, and let's read it now. In Ephesians 4, verse 28, it says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Um, in week one, we talked about what it looks like to work diligently and to be a good steward. Last week, we talked about doing honest work with your own hands. But the key there is so that. Uh, what's the purpose of doing all these things? It's so that you might have something to share with anyone in need. So the purposes of having resources is to be able to impact your neighbor, to impact your coworker or your family member or someone around you that is in need. Now, we could go into great lengths to determine what, whether or not somebody actually has a need, and obviously that's another message for another day. And so, but what we do need to figure out is, okay, how do we have something to share with anyone in need? And as I'm thinking about this, a handful of weeks ago, is even preparing to lay out five weeks worth of teaching, one thing strikes me um, is this. How do, you, how do you share with someone in need if you have nothing to share? And so we read this text and we think, oh, automatically I work hard and now all the resources I have go to someone in need. But the challenge with that thought is, is that you're not thinking about even your own daily needs. And we trust the Lord with our daily needs, but when Paul says, so that you would have something to share, it's important that you know that you save so that you would have something to share. And so I wanted to take this Sunday morning and just put the emphasis on saving so that you have something to share. So the question that I would ask you is, how well are you doing at saving? Matter of fact, does the scripture even talk about savings? Does it talk about anything around us storing up for future expenses? And the answer is yes. The Bible has a lot to say about how we steward finances and our money. And even in the Old Testament, you see multiple passages about what it looks like for us to steward our resources in a way that saves for future expenses or for things that would come our way. For instance, in Proverbs chapter 6, uh, there's a fantastic passage um, that refers to the ants. Uh, and in Proverbs 6, verses 6 and following through 11, it says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways. Now, what's interesting is it's talking to a sluggard. So someone who is not wise with the resource of their time, uh, potentially maybe they're lazy or they're apathetic, or maybe they just um, aren't seeing the usefulness and saving up for future challenges. Either way, it says, go to the ant, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she, the ant, prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Then it shifts back to the sluggard. Verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So as you read this passage here, the writer of Proverbs is doing two things. One is saying, hey, listen, if you want to be wise, consider the ant who has been prepping all summer long for a winter that might be challenging. For instance, we all woke up this morning here in Texas um, to a cool, crisp morning in which if you were to go to the ant mound, they were not out diligently working this morning. What they were doing was taking it easy this morning. Now, as the weather warms up today, and I presume it will enough for the ant to work, they are gathering a harvest for a difficult day which is ahead. Are there difficult days ahead for the ant? Yes. So the writer of Proverbs is assuming that if the ant is having difficult days, the sluggard will too. 
And so there's the, there's the concept. The, the end is going to have challenges. Hey, you are too. So that means you don't want to be a sluggard now. And you say, well, what's a little bit more sleep? Hey, what's a little bit? Like, I can take a little bit more time. I don't have to do it all now. And which one of the things that I would say to you is the same thing I say to my kids all the time is, hey, why put off till tomorrow what you can do today? Like, and that's the thought. Think about even your workplace. Hey, how many times did you get to that end of your day, the last couple of hours, and you just think, you know what? I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. And the reality is, is that there's a warning against that. Why? Because a little sleep and a little slumber and a little folding of the hands will actually bring a place to where you look around and you say to yourself, oh, what happened? Did an armed man, a robber, come and take everything away? So you get to the place where you have desolate and challenging days and you have nothing. It feels like you've been robbed of the care and the resources and the provision that you need in those hard times. It almost feels like an an armed man showed up and stole these things. But the problem was not the armed man or someone that stole it. The problem was is that you and I did not use intentionality in savings. And here's what I want you to understand is that savings, friends, does not just happen. Just as you and I are to study God's word and it doesn't happen through a process of osmosis, savings is the same thing. I was in our small group on Wednesday night with some young men and one of the guys says, Brandon, do you have the whole Bible memorized? And I'm like, no, I don't have the whole Bible memorized, but I try to study it to where I know the full counsel of God's word. Well, here it is. A warning for us is to be wise and intentional with even our savings. Proverbs goes on. Proverbs 27 says it this way in verse 23, is if you're not saving just financially, maybe you're stewarding flocks or resources. It says this, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Now that was written for people in Israel that were shepherds and also for East Texas rednecks who own cattle, okay? (laughs) And I have many friends out here that you have cattle and some of you have a dozen cattle and some of you have two dozen cattle. And then there are some of my friends around here who have 150 or 200 head of cattle. And they spend their day going from one place to another place, checking the condition of their flocks. And friends, the point is, in Proverbs 6 and also in Proverbs 27, is that if a farmer goes around checking the condition of his herd, lambs or goats or sheep or chickens or cows or whatever it is, then we ought to also know what we have in our accounts. We ought to be wise and diligent. Um, Proverbs 13, verse 11 says this, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. You remind yourself of the ant. They don't store up for the winter in one day. They store up for the winter collectively, little by little, every day. And as we think about this, I think about two points. I've got five points for you this morning, but I think about two. One is that savings is wise. Everybody say, savings is wise. Savings is wise. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 21, verse 20, it says this, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's house or in his dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So a wise man gathers up some of the resources. They keep a little bit of barley and grain and corn and other things for the winter. 
but yet a foolish man eats it all, right? They forget that there's something around the corner that could cause desolate or difficult times. They forget the famine in their land. As a result of that, if savings is wise, then that means that frivolous spending is foolish. That's the counterpart. So that's point number two. If savings is wise, spending frivolously is really foolish. Which then brings the question, how well are you doing? In our, uh, we call them bumper videos. It's the bumper between our worship set and our teaching. We show a video. That video was made in-house. And there were two things at the end of that video that I must note. One, it says America's savings rate is in decline. And then it asks the question, are you like most Americans? And that would be my question to you. When you think about this, do you realize where savings rates are going? They're going downhill. Matter of fact, there's a lot of us in this room that um, you don't remember the 1970s because you didn't exist then. But let's start there in terms of savings rates and let's bring it all the way up till the year 2023. Let me just show you real quickly or tell you what the savings rates have been like over the last 60 to 70 years. In 1970, if you were to begin there, American savings, personal savings rate, was around 13%. What I'm giving you this number, it means that the disposable income that they received, they kept around 13% of that each month. By the time you got to the end of that decade, though, that number had gone from around 13% to closer to 10%. So it had dropped three percentage points. When you hop into the 80s, woohoo! how many of your 80s kids? Go ahead. Yeah, that's me. Uh, when you get there, there was a little bit of a, a spike to 11%. So in 1980, it was 11% savings rate. It means a tenth of income was coming in or a little over, and then it dropped by 1989 to around 8.5%. When you got into the 90s, it went to 9%. By the time you got to 1999, the American savings rate had dropped to 5%. So from 1970 to 1999, it had gone from around 13% to now down to almost a fifth of that to 5%. You hop into the 2000s and you think, well, hey, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get better. But the challenge is it went down another percentage point. So you got to 2000, it went to 4%. And they ended that decade around 2009 after, if you remember, a little crisis in 2008, with American saving closer to 5%. Then from 2010 to 2019, it, it jumped up a bit, around 6% in 2010, and then it went up to around 7% at the end of that decade. The challenge was, is that um, you get to 2020, and it begins to, to drop a little bit. You get to 2023, and so far this year, our savings rate is between 2.7 and 5.1%. We average right now around 35 to 4% this year. Now, the reason I share all this is because that's not great savings for a nation. But here's the deal. If we look to our government as an example, we don't know how to save anything. Because here's what you and I don't know, and maybe some of you young people aren't um, concerned with our economic policy, but right now our nation spends more money than it has. 
Listen, let me say one more thing. Our nation spends more money than it can actually print. And if you understand a little bit about money, you need to realize that our nation is printing money that has no backing. So up until Reagan's presidency, every dollar that floated in the U.S. economy was backed by gold. The paper that you have in your pocket was only a promissory note, meaning that if there was a dollar floating in, there was a dollar of gold in the treasury. Did y'all know that? If you didn't know that, then there's a history lesson. Now, there is not even close to the amount of gold to back the dollar promissory notes that are floating in our economy, which means that we are passing around currency or fiat that is actually losing value every day. The inflation numbers are wrong, in case you didn't know that. They're saying it's around 4%, 4.3%, 4.5%. When I go to the grocery store, I'm seeing that it's closer to 29%. It cost $185 for us to walk out of Walmart the other day. I think what we bought will last us 10 days. Now, why do I say that? I say that to help you understand that you and I have to be paying attention because if we're going to give to someone who is in need, you have to have something to share. If you're not paying attention to these numbers, you won't be able to do simple math. And I get it. Maybe you're like my kids and you're like, listen, math is stupid. We're never going to use it again. (laughs) I use math every day. Every day. I cannot think in the last two years of a day I have not used math that I've not used my calculator to do math problems that I couldn't do myself. But the reality is, is this is a very important subject. Now, you might ask the question, well, why is it wise? Well, here's why. Because Americans right now aren't saving money, and more than that, did you know that the average American is spending more than 9% on debt payments? So let's take a savings rate of around 4% and a debt rate around 9%. If you were to take those two numbers right there, what is the problem? You're not in the positive. Does that make sense? And statistics are all over the place, but most Americans are roughly spending 10% more each month than they actually have, which means that we are not saving anything and we're actually spending excessively. Now, Let me take you to an interesting time real quick as we think about savings rate. Let's go back to a year 2020. Something happened. Y'all remember that? It was March of that year. COVID um, and the pandemic began. And for the next 14 months, Americans did something that they have not done in over 70 years. They saved money. Let me just give you the numbers. In March of 2020, Americans saved 12.5% that month. The next month, Americans saved, which is April of 2020, they saved 32% of their income. Now, there are certainly factors. You're not going to work, gas, you don't, you know, you don't go out to eat because there's nowhere to eat. So you're having to, you're having to be wise. You don't go to the grocery store probably as not much, but there, there are you know, factors, but that's still a very interesting number. From there on, it was 22.7% one month, 18.4%, 17.9%. 
August of that year was 14%, September 13.2%, October 12.8%. You close the year with a November number of 12.1 and a December number of 12. January of 2021, you open with 19.3%, February 12.8%, March 26.1%. 14 months into the pandemic, Americans on average had saved over 17%. That, my friends, is the number that I think is acceptable among the richest people of the world. Here's an interesting thing. 15 months after the pandemic, which is April of the following year, Americans' savings rate dropped to 3.1%, and we have hovered there or slightly above for the last handful of years. Now, what's the problem with this? Well, here's the problem. Spending is wise, or, or savings is wise, and accepted spending is foolish. There's the challenge. You see it? So who am I talking to? Am I talking to someone who is wise or am I talking to someone who is foolish? And you might say, well, pastor, did you call me a fool? I'm not coming back. No, the Bible does, actually. And you might wonder, well, okay, what's the precedence in the New Testament? Is there a precedence in the New Testament that talks about savings? Because I think if you look at all the passages I've just mentioned, you could say, well, that's all in the Old Testament. Does the New Testament give you a prescription for savings? And I would say it doesn't just give you a description. It gives you a very clear prescription for savings. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's going to be kind of nestled in. And what Paul's doing is he's writing to the church of Corinth. And as he writes to the church of Corinth, he's going to encourage them to do something. One, he's going to encourage them to help somebody who's in need, which is the goal. Acts chapter 4, verse 28. The reason that we do an honest day's work, work diligently with our hands, honest work is so that we could save something in order to help someone in need. Well, Paul's going to tell them about a particular need, and he's going to tell them how to save for future needs. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through following. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you are also to do. Paul says, there are some needs I'm going to come and collect. Hey, you need to join the other churches in helping out. Then he gives the plan. Look at verse 2. On the first day of every week, that's a Sunday that's different than the Saturday Sabbath, the New Testament church began to meet on the first day of the week after the, the church be, began to be formed. And so they're meeting on the first day of the week. And he goes, that's the day of the week that each of you, and then he uses the word each of you, which is the word uh, hekistos, which literally means each of you. That's what it means. Um, he goes, each of you is to do something. And what is it that they're to do? They're to put something aside and store it up. Now, the word stored up there is the word thesorizo, uh, and thesorizo, everybody say thesorizo. Yeah, the reason that that's important, he goes, you're to store that up. Thesorizo it. You're, you're, to, you're to take something and to, to keep it. And now the question is, is, when are they supposed to do this? On the first day of the week. So when you gather as people, you, present tense, are to save up or store up present tense, which makes it a present tense imperative, meaning this is a command. You are to take something on the first day, Sunday, and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. The idea is, is if you are 
putting something aside on the first day of every week, when I come, your coffee can will not be empty. Now, they didn't use coffee cans. They would use coffins or they would use other things that would put this money in. And then he says, verse 3, And so when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So Paul says, I may show up and I may not show up, but whoever shows up will come and they're going to expect a contribution. They're going to take a collection from the saints there in Corinth and we're going to help other people in need. And here's the plan. If you're to be saving, here's what you do. You, each of you, all of you, each of you are going to put something aside for others in need. Now, as I'm reading this, the one thing that comes to mind is he says they're going to go to Jerusalem. And when I see that, I ask a question. Well, why Jerusalem? I mean, why don't, why don't they send the collection to Ephesus? Or why aren't they going to Galatia? Why aren't they going other places? Why does it seem to be that he's talking to Corinth about Jerusalem? Well, here's the deal. The Bible actually tells you why. In Acts chapter 11, when you're reading about the early church, it says this, Now in these days there were prophets that came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, a guy named Agabus, stood up and he foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world, and this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul, Paul, are going to go and they're going to get collections to send Jerusalem in the midst of their difficult days. So why is it that we save, according to Paul, to the church of Ephesus? We save so that others in need would have provision. Is that true? So here it is. Jerusalem hits a famine, a difficult day like the ant stores up for. And it seems to be, Paul says, look, we're going to help them out as a collection of churches. He even writes to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 and 26, and he addresses the church of Rome regarding Jerusalem. Look what he says to them. He goes, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Ahia have been pleased to make some contribution. And he says, For the poor that among uh, the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So he goes, Macedonia's helped, Ahias helped, he's encouraged Rome to help, and he's also encouraging the church of Corinth to help. Do you see the collection here? Now, he doesn't give the plan to everybody else, but he does give the plan to the church of Corinth. And do you know the two things he says to them? This is what he says. He says, saving should be consistent, which is point number three. And then the other thing that he says, and you can note there in 1 Corinthians 16, verse two, he goes, on the first day of each week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. What's interesting is, is that he doesn't tell them what to put aside. He gives them freedom there, which is point number four. And the thing I noted here, there is freedom in determining what you save. So the command is you should save something. If saving is wise and frivolous spending is foolish, then here's a very simple thought. Save something. Save something. And then he tells you, you've got freedom in determining what you save, which is the problem with us. There are two problems with us. One, Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, and Corinth is going to do something that Macedonia doesn't do, that Ahia doesn't do. Macedonia supports Paul 
uh, and Jerusalem. And Macedonia is actually famous in supporting Paul's missionary journeys and work. Corinth actually questions where Paul gets his money, and they also try to renege in their devotion and their offering to Jerusalem. Macedonia is the picture of a gracious, generous believer. Corinth is the picture of an American. Americans say we're going to do something and never do it for two reasons. One, because our yes is rarely yes and our no is rarely no. We commit something and we back out at the last moment. Many of us don't sign up because we're waiting for something better to come along. That's extra. I'm just giving you that as a bonus today, okay? But that's who we are. The second thing is the reason we can't give to someone in need is because we have nothing to give. And when it comes down to the whole dilemma, we ask one of two questions, and here they are. This is the bulk of this message, and this determines your heart. You're going to ask this question. How much money should I give to God? Or question number two, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? Two totally different questions. How much of my money should I give to God? Or how much of God's money should I keep for myself? See, we, even as believers in the States, fall into this line. And the reason why we fall in this line is because, by and large, there's very few of us in this room that are generous. Now, you could say, well, I'm generous in lots of ways. I give to lots of different organizations. The reality is, is that on average, Americans give less than 2.5% to charity. So I'm not even talking about the local church. This isn't a local church issue. This is a, we're not generous. And you might think, well, we're not generous simply because we're hard-hearted. And I don't think that's the issue. I don't think it's merely that we're hard-hearted. I think we renege because we got nothing to give. We're so bad at savings that when it comes down to a real genuine need, we have to ask the question, do I meet my need or do I meet another person's need? And I don't know about you, but in my selfishness, I almost always, 110% of the time, actually, I'm going to meet my need first. Anybody like me? So the rest of you aren't. Okay, will y'all teach next week? Because we want to be more like you. <laughs> so the reality is, is we oftentimes struggle to meet other needs because we have nothing set aside. And so the question that you got to ask yourself is that there is freedom in setting something aside, then what is your plan? Paul said to the church of Corinth, every Sunday, each of you should set something aside. And I presume to believe that some of them had a little more in excess to set aside than the others. We certainly see throughout the scriptures that all of us are different in terms of what's stewarded to our care. But it's not the question about how much we have. The question is, is what is our plan? And I would say there's a multitude of plans out there, right? You can listen to Dave Ramsey, or you can go to Crown Financial, or there's a ton of different places. Um, I've heard a friend of mine who loves the 10-80-10 plan. It's you, you, you give 10, you, you live on 80, and you save 10. That's a great plan. Uh, the reality is, is, here's what I know. I know I don't want to be like an American. I know that the current savings rate between 3.5 and 4% is not going to cut it. Why do I know that it's not going to cut it? 
Because I don't want to live like an American. Why do I want to live like an American? Because Christ has made me something different. I'm not an American. I'm a Christ follower. As a result of being a Christ follower, I cannot be like everyone else. Why? Because we are called throughout the scriptures to be consecrated and to be set apart. We are to be different. We're to be different in our marriages, in our parenting. We're to be different in the way we think about politics. We're to be different in the way that we think about economics and even more our own economics. And the challenge is, is that most of us, we don't know what we're saving. If I were to ask you, what's your personal savings rate? You'd be like, oh, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't think I'm saving anything. You should know that. You should know how much you are saving every single month. And you go, well, I, there's no way to know that. Well, here's what I will tell you, is that um, our cost of living is way more expensive than it has ever been. And as a result of that, um, it's very difficult to save unless you're strategic. So if you're not saving anything, then you've got to start asking yourself questions. What is it that I need to get rid of in order to help me save? Because saving here is clearly a wise thing. Do you agree that savings is wise? So if you start there, savings is wise and excessive spending is foolish, then you've got to begin to comb through what's excessive spending. And here's the deal. There's freedom in determining that. Isn't that good news? I don't have to determine that for you, and you don't determine that for me. But as I'm looking just through a handful of things, this is excessive in my mind. A gym membership that you never use. That seems to be excessive. Now, is a gym membership excessive? No, not necessarily, right? If you're using it, absolutely. Um, three streaming service options, probably excessive, maybe not wise. I understand none of them offer everything you need. Determine, is it a need versus a want? Maybe you get your car washed twice a week. Maybe you haven't added up the math, but when you do that over the course of a year, you're spending seven or $800 to wash your car. Do I really need it? Do I not? I would say there's a myriad of questions that you have to comb through in order to help you set aside something. But the key is to set aside something. Listen, there's one more thing that I would just say this. Um, if you were to comb back through 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, there's something in there that I think is important to note. And let's put it for you back on the screen. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so that you are also to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Y'all remember the word I had you repeat? Therosito? You... That means to gather, heap up, reserve, store up. Okay? And it says, as he may prosper. And that word prosper is the word uodoo. Uodoo literally means so that you may have a good journey. You, you save up so that you may have a good journey. Now, when you think about a good journey, here's what I need you to realize. A good journey does not always mean that you travel with excess. It actually means that you would travel with just what you need. You remember gold, I said, backed up currency? Before you had promissory notes in the Old West, you'd have a bunch of guys who would load up their horses, would they always take all the gold they had with them? 
No. Do you know why they wouldn't? Why wouldn't they? It's heavy. Gold weighs a lot more than the dollar bill. And not only if you, is it heavy, but let's say you take all of it with you and you find yourself on the Colorado River and some bandits come out of the woods. What do they do with your gold? They take it all. So what are you to do? You're to, what, live lightly. Now, why does that matter? It matters because if you understand what Paul is saying here, it puts into context a similar word that Jesus uses here in Matthew 6. Now, this is a passage that you've already heard over the last handful of weeks. I'm going to show it to you again. Jesus says, hey, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because he goes, there's going to be moth and rust that destroy them. Thieves are going to break in and steal. But he says, hey, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, or thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's interesting, though, is that Jesus says, hey, don't store up for yourselves treasures. And he uses the noun form of treasures where Paul uses the verb form. He actually uses the word thesaros, which literally means put your money in a treasury or in a coffin or storing up in a barn. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Here's what he's saying. He goes, listen, you need to be careful because your personal savings should not be self-centered. That's what Jesus is saying. Your, your personal savings. Paul's saying you should have savings so that, so that what? You might be able to help others in need. And you might hear a message today that feels counterintuitive because I'm encouraging you to think through savings. So the question is, why am I encouraging you to think through savings? One, because you can't meet a need if you have no savings. And that's the problem with most of us. Jesus is saying you have savings, and I think it's wise to steward them well, but you don't make that your treasure here on earth. Why? He is saying don't store up for yourselves treasures. And really, I think what he's saying here, he didn't say this, but I'm going to say it for him. But I think he says storehouses are stupid. Now, a lot of us have barns and shops and garages and containers and other means of, of things. Let me ask you this question, just because I'm interested to see if, if uh, American stats are correct. How many of you either have a container that sits on your property or you rent a storage building that has belongings in it. Would you please raise your hand really high? You're not in trouble. Just raise it up high, okay? Stats would say that four in 10 Americans have a storage container or unit. Then you ask the question, okay, cool. If storehouses are stupid, how much are we? By the way, I have one of these, okay? Or I've spent money on them in the last couple of years. Um, how much are we spending just holding belongings that we don't actually use. And do you know that this is one of the most wealthy areas for people who own storage buildings of anything there is in the U.S. economy? This year alone, Americans are going to spend between $37.5 billion to estimates of $56.5 billion dollars. That means Americans are spending anywhere from $1,000 to $2,000 each year on belongings that they don't actually use. And if I were to ask you what's in your storage building, you would say, I don't know. And nor, 
the first service, I asked them that question, and it wasn't even a rhetorical answer. A lot of them were like, junk, junk. I'm like, stuff, you know? And the question that I would ask you is this, is do you know, if you were to just kind of boil it down to our own church, do you know how much our church has spent if the averages are right? This year alone, our church family will spend over $200,000 on storage containers. $200,000 on storage containers. That's craziness. Now, am I saying that you shouldn't have a storage container? Is that what you heard? It seems to me that this is an area where you have to use your own wisdom, right? Just as you would look at your payments of your streaming services and just as you would decide whether or not I really need to run my car through the car wash, if this is prohibiting you to save, then you should get rid of it. And more than that, if you were to get rid of it, what are you to do with it? Listen, you, you sell it or you give it away. See, what Jesus, I think, is trying to help us see is, one, is that your heart follows what you're most in love with. And if we're in love with the Lord, then the reality is he's going, you need to think about living more lightly here on earth. That doesn't mean that you are to embrace the poverty gospel. The poverty gospel means that you're more like Jesus because you have nothing. I don't think that that's normative in the scriptures. But the thing, too, is we need to be careful not to embrace is this whole idea of prosperity gospel. The prosperity is that because I love Jesus, I not only have more, but I should have more because I'm blessed. The reality is, is both of those are wrong. Really, what you should desire is to live for a peace-filled gospel, knowing that my heart is in position to the Lord, that I serve him and him alone, and there's nothing here on earth that is mine. Everything I own is on loan, and it's all useful, available, and ready at a moment's notice to help someone who is in need. And friends, if you have nothing stored up to help someone in need, then I would say that's a real challenge. And it's a challenge that we need to begin addressing today. I would say put some stuff for sale on Facebook. Now, here's the deal, friends. When you see somebody's stuff go up for sale on Facebook, you need to be tempted not to buy their stuff. <laughs> so I realize, like, this message alone is already counter, counterproductive. You're selling something and your church family can't buy it. So you're praying that someone in the world will, right? What is the point? The point is simply this. You and I cannot be like the average American. We're called to more. You and I cannot continue to live in the cycle that creates burdens and anxiousness. When we lay awake at night wondering, will I have enough money to pay my electric bill? There's a better way. There's more peace. We don't have to be anxious for this side of things because we can plan. Now listen, if you're here planning and you're like, listen, Brandon, I understand what you're saying, but I literally don't have enough money coming in to meet my needs. And my needs are all needs, genuine needs. Then here's what I would say. You've got to work to get another job. Or you need to ask for help in planning those things. And the first of the year, we're going to offer a financial class where we talk more in depth about all these things. And listen, I want you to be clear. It's not so that the church 
meaning us, becomes more wealthy. It's so that you are ready at a moment's notice to meet needs when you see them. The key is you got to save something to be able to help others. You may wonder, well, where do I land on all this? Like, where is, how, what's the determining factor? Well, the question I would ask is this, is do you see possessions over people? Think if you're a grandmother, maybe you're an aunt or uncle, and they roll, somebody rolled into your house and it was a nephew or a niece or a grandkid, and they stumbled into something, and you panicked. Like you freaked out on them because you're like, oh, no. Like you, and they, they hit your great-grandmother's vase and almost tipped it over, and you kind of went a little bit ballistic on it and on them. The question is why? It's the same reason that we would respond this way to a kid who's running in the church. You can't run in here. This is what? God's house. Hold on real quick. Last time I checked in the scripture, Jesus said, I don't live in a temple built by human hands. He didn't live in mortar and bricks and stone, right? Which is good news. His kids can run in here all day long and it doesn't matter. Did y'all know that? They're actually encouraged to do that. If you were to come on a Wednesday night on student ministry, like it might actually make you a little nervous. <laughs> the Lord lives here in us. And he cares that we treasure people more than possessions. He cares that we value people more than we do stuff. And what Jesus, I think, is saying is if you're not careful, you'll have an earthly mindset to where you miss the value of the kingdom. And the kingdom is that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's Luke 19, verse 10. He's pursuing the Zacchaeus. And he's pursuing the woman at the well. And he's pursuing sinners so they could come to know Christ and experience his truth. And friends, it's very difficult to see Jesus in us when we value our stuff more than we do the spiritual things he wants through us and for us. And so may the Lord help each of us, including me, because it can be a real wrestle. Now listen, just so you understand, this message is not about you selling everything unless the Lord tells you to. It is simply about stewarding the resources well what are you saving? If you don't have any money in savings, then start making a plan. And I would say it's okay to get excessive with that plan. It's actually okay to make some really big decisions and hard calls so that you have money to help others in need. Sound good? Capiche? Okay, what time do the Cowboys play? Are we good? We're still good? Let me pray for us, friends. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the blessing of being here. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be stewards of the resources you've entrusted to our care. Lord, I don't want to be like an American. And the Americans around me are not my standard. You're the standard. And Lord, you want us to save and to be wise as Paul encouraged the church of Corinth so that we don't renege on our duties when the need arises. 
We shouldn't be asking, well, do I meet my need or someone else's need? Lord, I pray that we would be such good stewards that when needs arise, we give graciously, winsomely, and carefully. That we are wise in stewarding the resources and trusting our care because they're not ours in the first place. And so, Lord, would you help me to stop asking the question, what what am I going to do with my money and will I give a little bit to God? But, Lord, would you help me to better ask the question, Lord, this is your money. What should I keep for myself? Lord, help me to give more away and help me to meet more needs because I've saved in advance. We need your help and we cannot do it alone because we're oftentimes misguided and oftentimes selfish and oftentimes we're sluggards. And so Lord, help us to be wise in a culture that is oftentimes very foolish. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.